Man, it has been such a joy to listen over the last several weeks to the developing work of God in this world. And so it's today is my privilege to continue our series. And I want to talk to you about the beloved community is a community that's a worshiping community. That's, that's what I want to talk to you about. So Kurt's been leaning into Dr. Martin Luther King's vision for the beloved community, the development of God's people in the world who are engaged and active, who are uh, not passive, but living their faith out in the world. And today I hope that I can unpack worship in just a bit, just a way that helps us to understand that maybe, just maybe, worship is more than we've ever imagined. I'm talking to myself because that's been the discovery that I'm making as an old man, that worship is more than I've ever imagined. You know, interestingly, at some level, almost everyone I know really enjoys exploring history. You know, and they enjoy it more when we find an exploration of their own personal history. Like, I am totally enamored with the app Ancestry. Like, right, I did the deal. I know, I'm in the big pool. They got my, they got my number. They know where I am. I'm being tracked constantly. I, but, you know, the, the return for that is a wonderful delight in discovering more than I ever imagined about my ancestors, the people who have gone before me. I know the little bit of a story that's told. I have a Baptist great-grandfather pastor who got kicked out of the church because he refused to quit playing cards because it wasn't against his conscience. And uh, you know, he, I, I guess he just loved playing cards. I never knew him, didn't know him. But, but you know, I'm always intrigued by that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm intrigued by understanding that uh, we have roots in the UK and we have roots in the Nordic countries. It's just really, really interesting to me. So the, the reason I'm sort of talking around that is one of the ways that helps us understand the book of Genesis is to actually understand it as a place for exploration, for the curious and for the convinced. It lays for us the possibility of a foundational understanding of a Christian worldview. One which may be built in us and through us that develops into a flourishing life. Now, for me, flourishing is living well in all areas of life. Flourishing. And I think God's intentions for humanity is for us to live well in the whole of our life, right? Just the whole of our life. And so Kurt has reminded us that the life that is a flourishing life is a life of invitation from God. And the invitation is simply this. At least part of our invitation is an invitation to loving relationships, 
an invitation to engage in a freedom that gives us choice. He, he did a really great job in reminding us, you know, when we have freedom of choice, we can choose well and we can choose poorly. And there are consequences that follow with both, right? But the interesting thing for me is that choosing well or choosing poorly, the connection to Genesis is that there's this engagement in community. And so the stories that are told repetitively from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through Genesis chapter 11 is a growing sense of people who are endeavoring to live well under the rule of God. Um, the song we just sang, here's what they were trying to do. They were trying to live into the your way is better. I mean, that's really what this is all about. Your way is better. And so the stories that are told in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, create opportunity for us to discover who we are with an opportunity to focus on where we're going. And so I want to cover a few big rocks and then we'll jump into today's conversation about being a worshiping community. So a couple of big rocks to review, simply this. Our creator is at work breathing life and order into chaos. Back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the waters of the deep, and the Spirit hovered over those waters, and the hovering Spirit of God, understanding the deep waters represents chaos. The Spirit of God is hovering over those waters for the purpose of bringing order. Have you ever noticed that God doesn't run from chaos? He runs to it. I mean, God's always found hovering in places of chaos. That's my experience. So, our creator is at work breathing life and order into chaos then and now. Second thing is, the eternal creating good God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are holding all things things together there's no creation and abandonment all is being held together by father son and holy spirit kurtz pointed us to john chapter 1 to john chapter 14 15 16 17 he's pointed us to different places in our discovery but the the good work is god is creating he is good and all things are being held together by him Last week, I picked this out of his sermon, and just simply the reminder is this, the big rock is living obediently in the kingdom of God. His rule, reign, and authority implies, God, you have authority in my life. So God's at work, the opportunity for us is to engage in responsive activity of obedience. So living obediently in the rule and reign of God implies that he is at work. He goes on to say, you are the way, you're the truth, 
you're the life. And as I share your life, it draws me into a better experience of life. As I share your life, it draws me into a better experience of life. Hear it again. Your way is better. Your way is better. Now, today we're going to take a look at the reflections on creation from an ancient worshiper who is highly influenced by this book of beginnings, actually highly influenced by the first five books of the Old Testament. And uh, you'll know him as soon as we uh, begin to read, but if you have your Bible with you, you can open it to Psalm chapter 8 or Psalm 8. If you're following along with your uh, favorite digital device, you can go there, Psalm 8. And uh, if you don't have either of those with you today, it's going to come up behind me on the screen so you can follow along. If you look at the bold print in my Bible, it says, The Song of David. Pretty well-known character in the Old Testament. An ancient worshiper influenced deeply by the Pentateuch and certainly by the book of beginnings. Listen to these words, and if you can, hold them in tension. Hold the tension of Genesis 1 and 2 and the beginning stages of creation as we read his reflection, what I believe to be his reflection on the book of Genesis. He says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You have put everything under their feet. All the flocks and herds and animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Oh, Lord. Our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. If that didn't connect for you, let me just suggest that you go back and just read Genesis 1 and 2 today as some homework. And just see what connections you find. I, I just think they're clear and present. And uh, so why I... Uh, I'm leaning into this text for us to explore this notion of the beloved community is a worshiping community. Today, as we look at this passage, there are just a few things that I want to highlight for you. And uh, the first thing that I want to highlight for you is this. It's simply worship is reserved for the creator worship is reserved for the creator lord our lord how majestic is your name 
in all of the earth. I think it's interesting that this psalm is bookended by the very two phrases, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And my own uh, humble opinion is simply the reason it's bookended is because we have short attention spans and we are easily distracted, given to forgetfulness. Now you say, what kind of forgetfulness? Well, I, I only know the kind of forgetfulness that plagues me, right? Here's the kind of forgetfulness that plagues me, and it's simply self-absorption. That's the kind of forgetfulness. That's the only kind of forgetfulness I need to forget. How wonderful God is is just to get absorbed into me, my, and mine, right? Like some of you have heard me say this before. I have a really hard time working at home. Do you know why I have a hard time working at home? Because I get distracted. Like, I think of all the things that are on my to-do list at home that haven't been to done. And to been, yeah, haven't been to done. They're still waiting. They are not been to done. Man, oh man, you know I'm from Oklahoma. Sorry, Okies. But it's true. You know, the self-absorption factor is that distraction that each one of us lives on and do you know what the distraction really is it's self-absorption because we falsely believe that we are self-made it's the story our culture loves to tell on the story of success is man i i got here on my own i pulled myself up by my bootstraps and this is how I've arrived. I got here on my own. And we forget, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. We are the created and we are not a creator as you are. See, we get easily distracted by our own self-absorption. We are forgetful because of our own self-absorption. And David says to us simply this, what Paul says to us in Romans, take a look around and you'll discover that all creation declares the glory of the creator. Back in the days when we were dreaming of planting this church, the, just the seeds were ruminating in my heart. I had a great team of people to work with, uh, the wonderful support of Michael Palandro, the, the head pastor at the Houston Vineyard. I was a staff member there and a whole bunch of other folks. And I'm looking in the audience today and seeing some friends that don't get to be here regularly. So thanks for being here. It just brings these memories back to me more powerfully. But we began to set a trajectory on what it would look like to launch a new church here in Pearland. And in the process of doing the things that we had put on the, the development list, one of them was for me to get away on a personal retreat and uh, just spend some time exploring what God might be saying about who we are and where we are and what we're doing. And so I went to the Villa de Mattel. Uh, some of you are familiar with that. Uh, it's a wonderful place to take retreat for quiet and peace, and uh, there's some beautiful people who will help you. And it was my first visit to the villa. And um, on your first visit, if you go, you just know that you're going to get introduced to the surroundings. And so one of the sisters 
are going to take you at, on a tour. They're going to tell you all about uh, the history and this and that. And at some point, they're going to tell you when meals are served and what's acceptable and unacceptable behavior. And I don't remember the sister's name who was leading me. All I remember is we stepped into the balcony of that cathedral. And she said, uh, you know, you should uh, take a look around. And, and she continued her, you know, just her, I mean, honestly, at this point, it was sort of droning. Like, she's just, she just going on. And I'm like, okay, you know, I, I think I got it. I think I got it, right? I know where my room is. I know what the schedules are. I know what the rules are. And I'm thinking, ah, come on, just let me go. I'm, I'm not here to do my stuff. I, you know, I've got to get, get busy here. You know, that's the distraction and self-absorption, right? She said, perhaps while you're here, you'll find yourself back in this place so that you can consider your smallness before our God. And... I can only tell you what happened to me at that moment. I wanted to run. I wanted to run because the words she spoke pierced my soul. And I thought, I just want to hold it together to get away from you so I can really express The work of God that I know is real, that he is God and I am not, and all my worship is reserved for him. He is good, he is great, and I am his great creation, welcome into relationship with him. Our worship, our worship is reserved for God and God alone. A different way of saying that simply is this. Creation, amazing as it is, is not to be worshipped. Creation only points us to the Creator. Creation, no matter how wonderful and beautiful it is, have you ever stood on the rim of the Grand Canyon and filled with awe? Have you ever stood at the the base of the Rockies and viewed, uh, my, my mind is seeing from Denver, Arvada, Colorado, I'm seeing, I'm seeing the mountains in the west. My mind is on the ocean beaches in Galveston. Yes, Galveston. <laughs> and I see the beauty of God's creation and I'm reminded it is awesome it is wonderful it is powerful and yet it is not to be worshiped you have set your glory in the heavens to continually remind us that you are God and we are not the beauty of creation declares the glory of the creator creation always points to the creator 
And this passage points us in just a couple of ways. The beauty of creation declares the glory of creator by inviting us to be overwhelmed with that beauty. And when we're overwhelmed with that beauty, we cannot help but worship. Rightly understood, the awe that fills us is worship and thanksgiving for our creator. There's a Greek word, proskuneo, and it just simply means to kiss toward. You see, the longing in your heart when you're overwhelmed by creation is to blow kisses to God for his beautiful work that is a part of the world in which I live. It just means to kiss toward. Now, kissing toward also has this idea, and it goes back to what Kurt was telling us, living in obedience implies submission to the authority of God. And so if you can imagine a monarch with the royal king, uh, with the symbol of the king, the ring on his finger, and he's seated on the throne, the invitation of Proscuneo, there is an humble bowing, hand held out, and your lips toward that, suggesting that your life, is worthy of obedience and engagement. Worship in and of itself is kissing toward God. We have an almost two-year-old granddaughter. She's the youngest of the seven. And I love it. I love it when they're in their age. You start to go. You know what get you know what you get at my house at least you know what you get now for those of you who are parents grandparents for those of you who are children you connect the dots We blow kisses to the ones we love deeply. Worship is blowing kisses to the one we love deeply. It's showing honor and reverence for who he is and what he has done. It's certainly giving great respect, honor, and devotion. But it's blowing kisses, simply blowing kisses to the one that we love. And all the kinds of things that follow that in a flourishing life. Let me just say again, worship is reserved for the creator. The creation only points us in that direction. Here's another thought that I have with regard to worship from this text. And it's the first time I've ever actually seen it this way. Um, worship knows no boundaries. Worship knows no boundaries. Verse 2 of this psalm says, 
Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. The words that are being spoken is from the most powerful man in the kingdom. Right? He speaks and he expects people to do what he says. There are consequences if you do not. He could have used all kinds of examples to talk about what worship looks like and how powerful worship is. He could have chosen people of power and authority and privilege. He could have chosen the well-known. And what does he do? He points us He points us to the needy and the poor. He points us to the people who need help. He says, he says, through the praises of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Here's the thought that came to me. God is not a respecter of persons in his distribution of grace and gifts, right? Generous, generous. He's, he's, not, he's not a respecter of persons in his distribution of grace and gifts. Let me just say, neither is he a respecter of persons in receiving our worship. Let me put the dot together for you. It's not how you've got it together. Is simply your cry of, oh God, I need you now, and you are the one who is able to do what I cannot do. You're the one who has the resources that are available to meet me in my need. And so David, the psalmist here, identified as a man of power and authority, and yet the example he provides is the worship expressed by the weak and needy, and this worship is received and this worship is powerful when we bow before him we just express our goodness and glory and thanks for who he is and we put ourselves in a position of weakness and the weakness Kurt says this all the time you are God I am not that's the weakness and sometimes our self-absorption wants to say wait wait whoa whoa you, you got ideas about this right you, Yes, I do. But to worship places ourselves before God with the idea that he is able to do what we need. There's this quote that I found uh, by my friend Warren Wiersbe. And uh, it says this, Worship are only sounds plus breath. Two very weak things. Yet words of praise, even from sucklings, not weaned, the babes, children able to play in the streets, can defeat God's enemies. See, our, our, we, we sang about it this morning. Our worship creates space for us to flourish in this life. Our worship appeals to the Creator. It's an appeal to the one who is able, the one who breathes on us, the one who breathes in us, the one who breathes through us for his good purposes, his glory. And just so you can be reassured for your good, your way is better. And when I live into that way, my life is better. 
His glory through us, the good of others, and absolutely for your good. You are not left out of the circle of engagement here. Worship causes us to give back kisses of love, but also causes us to step forward with courage that God is with us and we are never alone. Jeffrey Grogan says that in this passage I'm getting ready to read to you, I'm, going to say, I'm just going to give you the slide first in the sense of what Jeffrey Grogan says. And I'm out of sequence back there, okay? So just jump down to um, the, slide, the slide from uh, Gregory Gowen. Here it is. Nowhere is human dignity more strongly affirmed than here, right? And so this, this affirmation of who God is and what he's doing is strongly affirmed in this passage through the worship of babes and infants, but also uh, the full engagement of our lives. Worship invites our full engagement. And so verse 3, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You've made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. In right sequence, nowhere is human dignity more strongly affirmed than here. How is it affirmed? Three things, three things. The affirmation of God's work in us, through us, and for us is that we have been identified as image bearers. Image bearers. We reflect the beauty, the glory, the image of God. You just read through verses 3 through 8 again and you see the good work of God at work in us and that we bear and reflect His image. We bear and reflect His image through taking on the responsibility of co-laboring. Right? We co-labor. That whole thing of Ruling over the works of your hands, putting everything under their feet, flocks, herds, animals. It's the co-laboring aspect that you can read in Genesis 1 and 2, where we work together with God. Image bearers who work together with him. And then the third, the third concept there is that simply image bearing and co-laboring brings us to the possibility of being caretakers. Not mean, not ruthless, not aggressive, caretakers. Love Living love. Love, living love. We're caretakers of one another. And when I think about that, I understand that worship invites me to a full engagement in this life. Worship is not limited to Sunday morning. If you think it is, you are missing out on the most beautiful opportunity ever in this life. If you just contain it on Sunday morning and say, got my worship on, got my worship done. You're just missing some opportunities. I'm, God's not mad. I'm not mad. I just want more for you. Remember Kurt said last week when we read the text, we find some things that we say less, whoop, nope. I, we also find the invitation to more. Listen, God's always inviting us to more with regard to the life of flourishing he wants to live within us. There is more, there is more, there is more, there is more, and I want to live in that more. And a life of worship develops me into being one who lives in more. 
It's more than Sunday morning. It's more than the songs we sing. So if you sing songs to your favorite Christian radio station on your way to work every day, fantastic. Can I just tell you, that's not Sunday morning, and it's even more than that, right? I'm not, if we just limit it to Christian songs, I want to tell you there's more. If we limit it to the prayers we pray, I want to tell you there's more. So it's not Sunday, it's not songs, it's not simply the prayers we pray. You say, well, what in the world is it, Alan? And I want to say to you, worship is a way of life. Worship is a way of life. When my feet hit the, hit the floor every morning, almost every morning, sometimes really consciously and sometimes in a dreamy, sleep-like state, I say these words inside my head, rarely out loud, this is the day that you've made. I will rejoice and be glad and you, oh Lord, lead me, guide me, direct me, use me today. Wherever I go, whatever I do, may your name be great in me and through me in this life. And sometimes I live like that. Right? I, you, you get it, right? I'm more obedient at times than I'm less obedient. But my heart cries out, Oh God, do in me everything that you want to do. So if worship is not limited to Sunday morning or the songs we sing or the prayers we pray, if it's a way of life, let's accept the invitation to the kingdom life we're being invited to enjoy. And I want to finish by saying this. This is a quote from Kurt last week. He quoted from George Eldon Ladd, Gospel of the Kingdom. It's a book that's uh, been very important in my life and, and very important in uh, many pastors in the vineyard. And um, this life we're invited into is life eternal, like a, a little bit of heaven now. Right? That, that's the invitation. Um, Christians all have a, an eschatology that ends really, really well. Right? No more sorrow, no more tears, no more crying, no more heartbreak. And everything works like it was intended to work, right? That, that, that's the end. The trajectory of the Christian ends. That's it. Revelation 21. That, that's the end of the, tra that's the trajectory. The question isn't that. The question is how much of that realized eschatology can we expect to live into now? All right, right? And man, we're all over the map, right? There's, there's all, all over the map about that. And, and here at the Vineyard, we just want to lean into all we can get, right? That, that, that's all. I, I don't know what to tell you about how much we can expect. I, I just know this. We can ask for anything. Right? We can ask for anything. With open hands, not my will, yours be done. Right? We, but we just live powerfully understanding that God is able to do abundantly above all we can ask, even more than we can imagine. And so we're invited into this life of flourishing that points us to an eternal experience that we have a longing for in our heart. And Ladd captures it really well when he says, Life eternal means we have already been brought into a personal relationship with God here and now. 
right? Relationship with God. Life eternal means that we have already been introduced to God. Life eternal means that God has become our God and we have become his people and that we have begun to share fellowship with him. And this is the, man, this is like the kicker. All that's good, but listen to his final, his final word. We've begun to share fellowship with him. We have begun to share his life. Now just let that explode inside of you. We've begun, we've begun to share the life of God. Right? Imperfectly. I, I'm, I'm not suggesting we're, we're, we become gods. No. But we do share the life of God. And so our expectation is to kiss back, to blow kisses, to give obedience, to bow ourselves, to give ourselves to who he is and all that he has done and all that he will do. And this is the invitation of the community of God's people who are a community of worshipers. Every day in every way, wherever we go, we make his name great with grand expectation. I'm finished. Why don't you stand? We're going to pray just a bit. There's all kinds of ways we could go here, and we'll pray for you for anything. So if you're on our ministry team and you're available to pray, small group leaders and people on the leadership team, people who are familiar, would you just go ahead and make yourself uh, available just, just for the purpose of letting people know that there's someone available to pray with you now if you desire to receive prayer. Let me just say one other thing about prayer. Prayer is not reserved for the desperate. Right? It's available for the desperate. Prayer is a regular means of grace. This is why we do it almost every time we meet. Is because prayer is the privilege of engaging the one who knows us best and loves us most with the opportunity for us to say, here's who I am, here's what I need, here's what I want, here's what I expect. It's a normal means of grace just to say, God, would you meet me right here, right now, in this place, because this is what I'm aware of in my life. My own sense, one of the senses about praying today is my own experience, and so I, I recognize it may, it may begin and end with me, but it may not. And it's simply this, as we worshiped today, there was a great sense of welcome. Like my heart was just soft before the Lord. You know, sometimes it's softer than others. But the thing that softened my heart today was some hugs that I received, some words of kindness. And presence. You know, prayer is a place where you can get a hug. Right? I know I'm talking about the mysterious heavenly hug. 
but they're real. They're real. If you just need a hug from Jesus today, that's my thought. If you need a hug from Jesus, I got it from some people today. And you might get it from some people today. That wor- it works that way too. But if you just thought, I need a heavenly hug, just come get a heavenly hug. Let, let us pray for you. We started with where God is at work in this whole big rock idea, and it's he brings order to chaos, so it would be really good. If you're aware of the chaotic waters of your own life, the deep darkness, the void that's churning, and there's no clarity, God maybe wants to speak to you today about the spirit that would invite you to bring that hovering chaos and receive prayer. You may need prayer for healing. You may need prayer for finances. You may need prayer for broken relationships that you're longing to see restored. I don't know what your need is, but whatever your need is today, I'm going to pray a prayer of dismissal, and you're free to go. You can pick up the kids in children's ministry. You can grab your teens in the lobby. But please, if there's any inkling that you desire prayer today, don't leave. Please, don't leave. It'll be good for you. It'll be good for you. I know it's risky, but it'll be good for you. So I pray this prayer. I bless you to be the people of God who live with an awakened heart and a life of worship. That awakened heart is, God, you're not mad. You're not upset. You're not angry. We're deeply loved. So today, Lord, would you pour out that deep love in greater measure and would you cause that love to erode every resistance within us those places of self-absorbed exclusion because we think we got to get it right before we bring it to you God would you just wash over that dissolve it and I pray Lord that you would awaken us to that, but I'm also thinking of the engagement and encounter of uh, Charles Wesley when he says that your experience in the spirit in his life was wave after wave after wave of liquid love. So today, if it's one wave, would I, I pray now, make it wave after wave after wave of liquid love for each and everyone who is here. Now, Lord, would you send us out confident in your love to worship you for who you are, to receive all your goodness and glory, and to point others to the hope we have in Jesus. This I pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.